Well, this morning we're concluding a three-week mini-series titled, Who is Parkside? It's a, a bit of an anomaly for us as it's been a bit more topical in nature. And next week we'll get back into the more normal expositional realm as the summer series will walk through the parables of Jesus. Truths hidden in plain sight, we'll call that. I, I hope you'll plan to be back uh, next week for that. But if you're, if you're new with us, let me catch you up to speed on the last couple of weeks of this who is Parkside and what that has looked like. Two weeks ago, we said that the job of the local church is to display the gospel. That's what Ephesians 3.10 says, that the church displays the manifold wisdom of God, much like a wedding band holds up and displays a diamond that is beautiful. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the diamond to be on display, and the church serves like the wedding band to display and to protect the gospel. And last week, we said that we display the gospel here at Parkside first by delighting in the gospel, by treasuring it above all else, by being with Jesus before we do things for Jesus. We said that the delighting is foundational to everything. We must delight deeply in it and all the rest of our core values and our lives as Christians flow out of that. We talked about growing through relationships last week. We said we display the gospel by growing through those relationships. John 15, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you also go and love one another. So in the person and the work of Jesus, we see his love for us, and it's a model and a motivation for how we're to love others. This week then, we turn our attention to our next two, our final two core values, serving our community and sending into the world. We think of the church, or at least Parkside, um, as an aircraft carrier. Perhaps you've thought of different models of the church and different ships that might accompany them. I want to talk about this for just a moment as we get started here. I referenced this last week and want to unpack it a bit more this week. Some churches might design themselves a bit like a cruise liner. You choose the cruise liner that you're going to go on for spring break based basically on what has the best amenities, it's got the best swimming pools, best diving boards, the best meals, the best shows in the evening, and that helps to, to decide where you're going to go. Some churches try to structure themselves that way by having the best amenities, the best programs, so on and so forth. We think that may not be the, the wisest approach, but there's other churches that, that would structure themselves more like a battleship. You think about a battleship, a battleship wins the battle when the big guns are firing effectively and accurately. Practically speaking, in a church, this means that some churches will say if the, the pastors and the missionaries, the quote-unquote big guns, are firing actively and accurately and doing the work of the ministry, everybody else sort of shows up, pays their tithes and offerings, serves where they can, so that the pastors and the missionaries can go fight the battle. We, we think that's probably not the best model what the church ought to be either. We look at Ephesians 4, 12, where it says the role of pastors is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so we would think of ourselves as an aircraft carrier, where every member of Parkside is a fighter jet that comes together on Sunday morning. You come back to the aircraft carrier itself. We come together as a whole. And when you come, we want you to receive three things every Sunday. We want you to receive fuel to be sent out on mission. That's what the gospel does. It fuels you as you go. And we recognize that while you're out on mission, you're going to be tired and fatigued 
You might incur some injuries, and so we want you to receive healing from being with God's people and strengthening from the gospel. And then thirdly, we want to equip you and send you out. You know, a fighter jet would take bombs or missiles with it would, that would blow things up. I don't, I don't want you to do that, but let's, let's equip you with goods that will nourish those around you, that will take the gospel to those in your, uh, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and you think of the, the immense reach when we live out that reality as an aircraft carrier coming together. I received the fuel I needed, the healing I needed, the munitions that I needed to go out. And the reach that we can have as a body of Christ is astounding when you think of it that way. All of that comes back to the gospel that saves, the, saves us, strengthens us, and sends us. That's why it always flows out of delighting in the gospel. That is to say, then, that we're biblically grounded and gospel-centered as a church. And my job, week in, week out, is to take you back to the Bible, show you what it says, and how the gospel saves, strengthens, and sends us. Week in, week out, that's what we're committed to. And this week, as we look at those two core values, you could, you could summarize the whole sermon in this pretty simple sentence. The gospel compels us to serve our community and be sent into the world. The gospel compels us to serve our community and be sent into the world. So we'll pick up just starting with the serving our com uh, community aspect. Our job as a church, so core value three, serving our community, our job as a church is to display the gospel. What we believe is that by radically and generously serving our community, we display Jesus' approach to life and ministry. In essence, we say, because Jesus came close to us and served us, he left where he was at to come close, to serve, we will leave where we're at to move close to those in our community to serve them. Perhaps you think of John 1.14, kind of a, a famous passage here. We read, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The message, not a translation, but a paraphrase, use it sometimes as a commentary of sorts, is helpful in that it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that little phrase. He came close to us. He dwelt among us. Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 talk about the life and the ministry of Jesus, that he became like us in every respect. He became one of our brothers so that he could sympathize with us. You notice that proximity breeds empathy. You get close to somebody and you feel their pain in a specific way. You think of the miracles that Jesus did. He's healing. He's restoring sight. He's feeding. He's doing all kinds of things. And, and sometimes this is accompanied by preaching the message of the gospel, but oftentimes it isn't. Oftentimes he even says, hey, don't, don't go tell anybody what, what happened here. He's coming to serve those that are in his immediate community. Theologians then call this the doctrine of the incarnation. Jesus was incarnate flesh. He came to be like us. And so what we want to do to reflect that and live that out is what's called incarnational ministry. You may, maybe last week you remember me saying, there is no impact without contact. You've got to move close to people. We just sang this actually in the new song the band introduced, Jesus, You Alone. We sang, you breathed your life in creation. You walked among your created. 
You didn't just send us an email address for the help desk from above. You actually came and said, I'm going to be with you, walk alongside you so that I can serve you and sympathize with your weakness. Jesus moved close to the moral outcasts of his day, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and said, yeah, I know the religious people want nothing to do with you, but I will come close to you. I will move near to you. He moved close to the, the physically unclean that the society wanted nothing to do with, the diseased, the lame, the blind, and said, I'm going to come close to you and serve you. He moved close to the social outsiders for any number of reasons that would have made them outsiders and said, yes, I see you, I love you, you matter, I will serve you. So to embody incarnational ministry, to embody serving our community is really a reflection of saying all our core values flow out of the gospel, of the person and the work of Jesus that models and motivates how we proceed. And yes, this shapes the strategy of the church, yes, but it also must strengthen the souls in the church before it shapes the strategy of the church. Because if we're not individually being strengthened in our own souls by this, then no strategy and no program and no structure will ever be effective unless each individual fighter jet is receiving the fuel of the gospel, being strengthened and shaped by it. So we start there for just a second, and we, we recognize, you think back, Jesus had the perfect, sinless community in heaven. He had a better small group than you could ever dream of, so to speak, right? And he left what was comfortable and what was immensely, beyond words, beautiful to serve the ugly, dysfunctional community of humanity, he left what was comfortable and went out. And so when we delight in Jesus, leaving the comfortable to come and find us, it totally reshapes our vision of who we see and how we serve. And oftentimes, doctrine-loving churches, like Parkside, we focus on Jesus as our sin-bearing, wrath-absorbing substitute on the cross. We say, what is the gospel? It's Jesus as a substitutionary atonement. Amen, praise God, yes. May we never, ever for a second shrink back from any of that. But oftentimes, it can be easy for us to overlook Jesus as our example as well. How did he live? How did he serve? How are we strengthened by that? Yes, we grow through relationships within the church. Spent 20 minutes last week unpacking that. But we must also be sent out from this immediate community to serve the broader community. And this isn't like superstar Christianity stuff. You know, you got like a, a couple super saints that go do this. No, this is just normal Christianity. Here's how I pick up my cross, follow Jesus week in, week out. And what I've found in my life, and I would imagine many of you can relate to this, is that it's really easy to stand and sort of proverbially wave across the fence at my neighbor over there. A little bit of a distance, nice big smile, I care, and it's hard to actually move close. Right now, this might actually be, just tangibly speaking, somebody who does live next door to you, like your actual physical neighbor, but it could be much bigger than that, right? Think, who is it that you know that's sort of on the fringes of society, that, that people move around the day and they simply don't see that person or those people? 
Maybe it's a socially awkward person you know. Maybe it's a homeless guy or girl near your office that the people drive by and don't even seem to acknowledge their existence. Maybe, maybe it's some neighbors or some people in, in your youth soccer league that they just don't seem to fit in and nobody seems to, to see them. An incarnational ser- ministry, serving our community, means we move closer, we see them, we call them by name. You restore dignity and recognize the image of God in every single human being. With your actions and with our words, we say, I see you, I love you, you matter. We do that individually, and we also do that corporately. Galatians 6.10 guides us in this. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Don't you love how freeing that is? As we have opportunity, the Lord will bring opportunities to you. You don't have to fix all the evils in all the world. But as you have opportunity, see who God brings to you and seek to do good to everyone, and especially the household of faith. Right In the greatest sermon ever preached, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that we're to be salt and light. Right, so today we think of salt more as a flavor enhancer, but back in the day it was more of a preservative. In essence, Jesus is saying, hey, you're to be a preservative for society. As it pulls apart, you're there, church, to be my people and to help sew it back together and to shine the light into the darkness because the darkness will not overcome the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all through Christian history, we look back, those with the richest and the thickest theology knew that serving the real physical needs of their community was necessary. Now, we pray that these efforts, this serving our community, will lead to gospel conversations, yes, but serving our community isn't merely a backdoor into gospel conversations. It's more than a means to an end, is what I'm saying. You think back and go back to to the plague that was ravaging Europe. It was the Christians who stayed and who served, even as it cost them their lives. You think of William Wilberforce, motivated by his Christian theology, that worked tirelessly to see the slave trade abolished. Or, Or Martin Luther King Jr., who, motivated by his Christian theology, worked against the the racism in his day. We think of frontier missions. Wherever you see Christian missionaries going forward, you see hospitals and schools and orphanages being established to meet the real, physical, tangible needs in their community. Historically, this is kind of an interesting note here, historically you've seen many women in the Christian church serve as deacons in these kinds of capacities. Even back to the Reformation you see that. It's like the last 75 to 100 years when deacons kind of started to be the the trustees of the church and in the American church, that women as deacons started to feel a lot stranger, right? But in these mercy ministries, historically, has where we've seen in faithful gospel-preaching churches, women serving in many of these kinds of deacon roles. Um, but, But what it does, as a church, we come together and show a care and concern for the whole person, both their physical and their spiritual needs, And certainly there are ways we do this corporately, right? We have ministries focused on meeting the specific needs in our community. But we also want every member to be thinking and asking, as the fabric of society starts to pull apart, how do we, one person at a time, start to sew it back together? 
What can I do in my little sphere of influence? And the only way we can really ask that question is to think about seeing people like Jesus saw them, right? To see the image of God in them before you see the depravity of sin in them, right? The reality is this, serving our community will always be uncomfortable. It means you're going to serve those people who are from the other side of the tracks, right? Those who are different from you religiously or sexually or politically or ideologically, Right, to serve them doesn't condone their choices. It doesn't mean you're advocating for their sin. Rather, serving them takes Jesus, who seems invisible to them at the moment. And in essence, it paints the invisible man. It says, I see you. You matter. I love you. And Jesus sees you. And you matter. And he loves you. Right, corporately, I just think through some of these ministries. And, and you might know some of these that I'm about to reference but I would urge you, as I talk about some of these, make sure you are regularly praying for these. Right? We passed out some little member prayer guides in the back. If you didn't get one in the family meeting this morning, I'd encourage you to pick one up as you go and jot down the, the various ministries that you can be in regular prayer for. You may hear one of these ministries, that how we serve the community together and think, man, I need, to, I need to get off the bench. I need to get involved. I need to be more actively serving our community. Or you think of those that are maybe less privileged in our community. We've got the storehouse that is on Wednesday nights offering food and clothing. You've got Fast Track coming up through the summer. There's about 25% of Brownsburg schools are on free and reduced lunch. 25%. It's an opportunity to provide school supplies for those in need. You think about the community Christmas project that we've undertaken to provide Christmas for families who wouldn't otherwise be able to have Christmas. These are tangible ways we serve our community. We think educationally, Bethesda Christian Schools, as a major way we serve our community. Yes, you can get a good academic education at Brownsburg or any other public school around, but we think it's very important to have a, a biblical worldview, a Christ-centered education, as a key way that we take the fabric of society and help to sew it back together. You think Brownsburg is filled with young families all over the place. How do we serve the, the demographic that's right in front of us? Well, Northwest Community Park is a great way that we do that. Say, hey, we see you, you matter, we love you, and so does Jesus. Think of Hendricks Community Soccer, where we use 15 acres to the north, or perhaps more, for thousands of people to come through every Saturday and just enjoy the, the community that's built through youth soccer. I had a meeting a couple weeks ago with, with Dr. Jim Snap, the superintendent at Brownsburg Schools. We, we meet quarterly, and he shares some needs with various pastors in the area. We pray together over them. He was telling me that over the last five years in Brownsburg, there's been a 250% increase in families who don't have English as their first language. It's huge. And so as part of that, we had the English as a Second Language classes being held at the library. Ed and Carmen Gladfelter were spearheading that. Many of you helped, right? As, as they prepare to go back to the mission field, we're praying that God will raise up people to continue meeting this need in our community. Maybe that's an area you can step in and serve, right? There's just so many ways we do this corporately, but there's a lot of ways you can do this individually too, apart from the, the structured programs of the church, right? You just think of how do I serve my community? Who are the people on my street, my physical neighbors, my friends, 
a single mom who could just use some help mowing her grass? What does it look like for you to be present with those who live close to you? You've heard all about the, the mental health crisis all over our country and certainly here as well. Maybe you want to pursue some counseling training up at Faith and Lafayette. It's just, no, I can't go get a full master's degree right now. That's okay. There's an immense ministry serving our community that perhaps that would be a step of action that God would lead you towards. Certainly there will be needs at life centers, formerly crisis pregnancy centers around the nation as we, we pray that Roe will be overturned and there will be additional needs there. Perhaps that's a way you could serve your community. There's missions downtown that do a great job. Perhaps you, this summer you take a couple of friends, maybe your kids, a roommate. You say, hey, we're gonna go down and we're gonna make it a, a priority of serving regularly. There's all kinds of ways you can do this. You don't actually need me to list them all out, but it starts with saying, I see that Jesus moved close to people, to serve people, to say, I see you, you matter, I love you, and we live that out in our daily lives. Right? Core value number three is about serving our community and seeking the good of our community, as Jesus did, seeing and meeting physical needs. And it starts to move us into our fourth core value, sending into the world. Sending into the world. Here we recognize that as Jesus was sent into the world with a specific message of salvation, so he also has sent us with a specific message of salvation. So if you think of salt and light, Matthew 5, I just talked about that. Serving our community is more of the salt component, as a preservative. Sending into the world is being sent out with the message of the gospel, the light that shines into the darkness and brings life to those who are spiritually dead. It's not merely good deeds, but a message to deliver. Right? Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And how beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel to those who have not yet heard it. Right? You can think about that in a cross-cultural context, but you can also think of it in your own neighborhood. That for some of us, it seems strange to think about having beautiful feet. Feet don't seem real beautiful. God says, yet it's possible for all of you. Just take the gospel to someone who has not yet heard it. And sending into the world comes from a firm confidence that there is a God who will save the world through the message of his son. And to the extent that we lack confidence in his ability and his willingness to save sinners, we will lack a sending nature in our lives. It's a direct connection there. John 20, 21 Joanna just read a moment ago, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So if we say that delighting in the gospel is the foundation, it starts there, it all flows out of that, sending into the world is like the bullseye. We have to get there, right? Without being sent into the world, the church could be just a bunch of disobedient Christians hanging out. Certainly we don't wanna do that, right? Think of an aircraft carrier where the planes never leave, Certainly, that would be a picture of dysfunction, where everyone is sitting on their Adirondack chairs or shooting hoops on the deck, enjoying the ocean views. Like, no, you've totally missed the point. You must be sent out with the message. Individually, we'll talk about a few ways we do that and then corporately talk about that as well. Individually, the core thing you've got to see is as a Christian, you are already sent. Right? The question isn't if you're sinner, if you're not. John 20, 21 says, Jesus has already sent you. 
So the question is, to whom am I sent and where am I sent, but not if I'm sent. We spend too much time, I think, in our lives pondering the will of God, wondering, am I sent, am I not? It's what one pastor I heard called the Cheerio method. He looks at his Cheerios, praying that God will reveal his will until the Cheerios randomly spell something out. He said, the longer I stare at my Cheerios, they keep spelling the same thing every day. Ooh. (laughs) No. Get past waiting for your Cheerios to magically spell something out. Quit waiting for a special voice from God. You've already got verses in the Bible telling you you're sent. Right? Live out this identity. Oh, man. (laughs) I laugh every time I think about that. But we've got to recognize every member is already sent. The question is if we're obedient to our sent identity. And if the pastors and leaders of the church will be faithful to equip, train, and send their members out. J.D. Greer has said it this way. I think we see it on the screen. If you are saved, you are under obligation to leverage your life to bring salvation to the nations. Those of us called to be leaders in the church are under obligation to train you up and send you out. Everyone who has received the gospel is sent on that mission. Every believer is sent. And you start to think about that, and it could feel a little scary to think of people that you know that are maybe opposed to the gospel, people that you've tried to have a conversation with in the past and it's not gone well. You start to tease that out in real-life conversations over the grill as you're grilling up the, the hot dogs and the hamburgers. Yeah, I get that that can be scary. But we recognize our mission field might be our workplace or a retirement home near us. It might be a youth soccer team or, you know, the community pool might be your mission field this summer. There's all kinds of places around us, a, a disc golf league or a bowling league, a, a running club. But I wonder if one of your action points this morning is not to write down five people that you know that God is sending you to. Just write them down and pray for them by name. And then layer that with growing through relationships and ask one brother or one sister within the church, say, would you join me in praying for these people? Would you join me in praying that I would be strengthened by God's spirit to actually take the gospel to them? I know I need his help. And as you think about the scariness of that, and I I don't know, I feel like I've failed as an evangelist at times, let me take you back to God's word and give you some encouragement, a couple verses that you may want to write down to take you as you go. John 14, 12 is on the screen. These are words of Jesus here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, if you read that and just pause and actually look at the words of the Bible, that's actually an astounding statement for Jesus to make, isn't it? If you believe in me, you'll do the works that I've done, and you will do greater works than what Jesus did. Just pause and think it like, that's a massive statement. How could Jesus say that and really mean it? Well, let's scroll down two chapters to John 16. And read a little bit more here. John 16, 7. We see again on the screen. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Again, a staggering statement. Jesus says, it's better that I leave. Jesus could be your life coach right there. 
Hey, who am I supposed to go talk to this afternoon? Him or him? Jesus says, go that way. Okay, that way. They've got a question I don't know the answer to about the Old Testament. Jesus, what's that mean? He tells you, here's what it means. All kinds of opportunities. Like, man, it would be amazing to have Jesus right beside me. And he said, no, it's better that I leave because the Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. And so as you're on mission going out, you've got to take seriously the words of Jesus, of the power of the Holy Spirit carrying believers, and we need to quit relying on our own strength. Right? God's not looking for those who are the most able. He's looking for people who are available. He says, yeah, I understand I'm doing this in the power of the Spirit. It's not me. It's to say that regular Joe Christians that are spirit-filled, will accomplish far more than a couple of super saints along the way. When a whole church is filled by the Spirit and is sent out off the aircraft carrier, it accomplishes way more than just a couple of battleships who have a limited reach. And it's also interesting that we note, as America becomes more opposed to Christianity, what that means is there are going to be less and less people that just make their way through the doors of the church. We pray that more will come. We're going to seek to reach them. But what it means is we've got to go individually to them. It's not so much a matter of sprucing up the programming as it is sending members to them. Steve Timmis, an author and pastor, said it this way. He said, new styles of worship will not reach them. Fresh expressions of church will not reach them. Great first impressions will not reach them. Churches meeting in pubs will not reach them. The vast majority of unchurched and de-churched people would not turn to the church even if faced with difficult personal circumstances or in the event of national tragedies. It's not a question of improving the product of church meetings and evangelistic events. It means reaching people apart from meetings and events. This is where we must be sent out on mission every single week. And yes, I hope that you'll invite people to Vacation Bible School in two weeks. Yes, men, I hope you're inviting a couple friends to Cornhole and Barbecue this weekend. And yes, I hope you're inviting them to come on Sunday and hear the preaching of God's word. But let's not segregate being sent into the world as strictly leaning on the programs of the church and recognize each individual is sent as well. But it's not merely an individual thing. It's also a, a corporate thing. And to send corporately, as, as a whole body, we recognize it is really costly to send people. Right? It's natural to want to invest in our own little kingdom here. But we know that self-focus leads us to death. It's as if you see every part of your life as a, as a kingdom seed sitting in your hand. And you can hold on to what God has given you, or you can invest it in eternity. We'll go into the ground, it'll die, and we pray it'll bring a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold. And just as we as a church call individuals to radically invest, generously invest their time, their talent, and treasure in the advance of the gospel, we also focus our institutional church resources in going beyond our borders, beyond our walls. Say, yes, we're going to give generously in those ways. Right? And there, there's spots where it's like, man, maybe we should hold back a little more, maybe it would be greater to have some updated carpet or get some, some chairs in here instead of pews or renovate the facility. And, and I would love to do all of that, but it must not come at the expense of sending. See, how can we send people out? 
Right, see, at Parkside, we, we talked about this at the family meeting this morning. 20% of our budget goes to missions. One out of every $5 you give will go straight to missions. Most of that being international, right? We've, we've sent five missionaries out from our church in the last 15 years, about one every three years. Praise God, we're excited to send Ben and Maria before too long, be a sixth. I pray over and I wonder who will be the seventh, who can we send to take the gospel to an unreached people group, to people who've not yet heard the name of Christ? It's not just internationally, though. We recognize that America is becoming more and more of a mission field. So we have our partnership with Plant Indy. You see the, the banner and the, some of the information in the back to see churches planted here domestically. The Fields Church in Westfield getting started in, in August. We're super excited for and friends, let me just remind you that God blesses a sending church. We don't hold on to these things as if they're our own. We give God our resources with an open hand and allow him to take them and bless them and use those resources for the kingdom however he would see fit. If you've been here a while, you're gonna know what I'm about to tell you, but there's a lot of new people who, who may not know this, but this church between 1985 and 1995 planted or revitalized about 12 churches around Indianapolis. And by God's grace, all but one of those, 11 of the 12, remain faithful gospel-preaching churches. And it's expensive to think about sending a pastor or sending money or sending people. But let me just encourage you with the return on investment that God brings. This weekend alone, those churches will serve about 10,000 attendees in Indianapolis. In the last three years alone, they've seen about 400 people come to faith and be baptized. This year alone, those churches will send more than $2 million overseas for foreign missions. And that's before you begin to even consider the 10 plus churches that those 11 churches have planted. God blesses a sending church. And so we have to recognize that if we're going to send well, we must have a strong discipleship pathway of recognizing some of us are senders and it's our job to stay here and send people to cross borders while we reach our community, and some people are called to be goers. Right? And it means every member is using their gift so that when somebody is sent out, somebody else is ready to step up and say, I've been using my gift, now I can step up in a larger capacity. When you think about the people that have been sent out just in the last couple of years, like, man, it would be awesome if we had Eddie and Sarah still here and, and Rob and Lynn and, and Phil and Jan and Janelle and, you know, my folks, Jim and Susan, who are back a little bit now. And it's like, man, if those people were always here, think of what we could do. Like, yes, but it's better to send and recognize we've all got to be using our gifts to step up and fill that gap to mobilize the saints for the work of the ministry. Right? It means that all of our members need to be giving generously, not only of your talent, but also of your, your treasure, so that when God raises someone up or gives an opportunity for church planning or revitalizing, we're able to invest heavily in sending into the world. It means we're committed to raising up pastors and missionaries who we would love to have serve here. They would serve well here, but there's a need somewhere else where it's more urgent and we can send them. Right, the strategic planning we had a couple of months ago, we, we asked you to pray for that, and we asked you to continue to pray over that, but part of what we've asked the Lord for is that we could raise up more pastors here. We have four lay pastors right now. Praise God for each of those men. Praise God that Pastor Steve can start this week in a staff capacity at the church. We're asking God to raise up more lay pastors 
so that men who love Jesus and may be called and gifted to lead his church would aspire to that and say, this is how God would have me serve. First Timothy 3 says, he who desires to be an overseer desires a noble task. We're praying that God will raise up his people here. You can listen to all of this and say, Justin, sending into the world sounds great in theory, but I do recognize it takes everybody rowing together. And sometimes in a church, it's that old, old adage, you got 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, right? It requires everybody be active in rowing together, rowing in the same direction, seeing that we are much stronger together than we are separate. Maybe you hear some of this and you think, Justin, grand visions from a guy in his 30s sounds good. Maybe the cost is too great. Maybe we can't keep it up at this clip. Let me tell you a story. 230 years ago, this weekend, significant anniversary in church history, William Carey, a man lived northwest of London, or northwest of Indianapolis, maybe there's, maybe there's some parallels here. He preached 230 years ago one of the most famous sermons in the history of the church on sending. The Christians in England were saying, no, sending is too costly. We can't do it. Let somebody else do it. They've got more ability right now. Let God supernaturally do it. We don't have to do it. And Carrie said, no, no, no. Let me tell you, Carrie was not a, uh, he was not an educated man. He was not a seminarian, not a highfalutin theologian. He was very poorly educated. He was a blue-collar worker. He made shoes for a living. He opened up to Isaiah 54. I'm going to show this on the screen, what text he preached from some 200-plus years ago this weekend. He said, or the, uh, prophet Isaiah says, rather, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. He said, look guys, God is doing a work here and his gospel will reach the people from every language and tribe and tongue and nation so spread out and lengthen your cords. Get ready to send well and strengthen your stakes because it's going to take all of us. But God is going to do it. It requires all of us to do that. I wonder if you've, you've considered, man, have I strengthened my stakes appropriately? I, I told you guys a bit ago about my trampoline blowing away. I thought I had it anchored while there were five little dog stakes with the twisties went down into the ground and all five got ripped out and the thing blew away. It was astounding to me. I thought I had strengthened my stakes. I had to go back and revisit it. I had post hole diggers. Two feet down, three of those holes, 50 pound bag of quickrete in every hole. I have strengthened my stakes. If that thing flies away, we got a problem. <laughs> but I recognize this is worth it because my kids love the trampoline and the fun they have is worth it there. I thought about getting rid of it. I thought maybe it wasn't worth it and ultimately decided it was. So we strengthened our stakes. I wonder this morning if you wouldn't think about the advance of the gospel around the globe and in this town in particular and say, yeah, it's worth strengthening our stakes. Because there's going to be challenges. There's going to be windstorms that would pick us up and throw us off task. And I individually and our family and our Sunday school class and our small group, we are going to work to strengthen our stakes so that we can send well. I'm going to strengthen my stakes by investing my talent here. I'm going to use my gifts in ways that God has given me gifts that I can use for the advance of the gospel. 
I'm gonna strengthen my stakes by investing financially here with the treasure that God has given me so that we can send and send well. I'm gonna strengthen my stakes by investing in others, using my time, because I can more efficiently do things myself, but I know in the long run of sending, it's always better if I can disciple somebody along the way. So I'm gonna grab a younger man or a younger woman or I'm gonna find an older man or an older woman and say, man, I need your, your wisdom and your help and your guidance and we're gonna do this together. What does it look like for you to strengthen your stakes? To recognize that this is our aircraft carrier and we are in enemy territory and we must be sending every member every week with the message of the gospel. Don't get caught on the deck of that aircraft carrier sitting in your Adirondack or shooting hoops, enjoying the ocean views, and miss that we are in enemy territory. Recognize you are already sent. You are that fighter jet being sent every week. What does it look like to strengthen your stakes? Final story, I'll conclude with this. You know, if you know anything about American history, that in 1929, the stock market crashed. And the ensuing decade was a remarkably difficult period for Americans. It was particularly so for those in the Great Plains as a drought came right along with the economic depression. And in Oklahoma, there were a lot of farmers who had some poor farming techniques. What it meant was that the soil near the top of, uh, of the earth was depleted. And so that, in conjunction with the drought and the crazy winds that come in the Great Plains picked up the dirt and it just transported it elsewhere and there was nothing that they could do to plant and actually have a harvest come about. They didn't have good dirt, they didn't have water, you don't have those two things, you're gonna have a hard time getting a good crop. And so by the end of the decade, in 1939, they came to a place where many farmers had their last seeds that they could ever invest they could ever plant in the ground. And they were forced to make a difficult decision. They could take the only seeds they had left, they could grind them up into bread, and they could try to travel somewhere else and hope for a return, not knowing if it would happen, likely meaning they would starve to death after that summer, or they could take the seeds they had, and they could put them in the ground and watch them disappear and pray that God would bring rain and there could be a harvest. Most of them did that. And in the spring and summer of 1939, for the first time in years, rain came. And the seeds went into the ground and it looked like they died, but they sprouted. And it brought a return. And it sustained them and gave life for generations to come. And I wonder this morning if you wouldn't think of the kingdom seeds that God has placed in your hand your talents, your treasure, your time. It's so easy to think about the ways that I don't think I can actually put it down in the ground. I need it for something else right now. I'm gonna use it for myself and for building my kingdom. Say no, like the farmers in 1939, we're gonna put those down into the ground. We're gonna invest them in eternity and pray that the Lord would bring rain and there would be a fruit and a harvest that's 30, 60, 100 fold. Jesus in John 12 would say, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of seed falls into the ground, it remains only one seed. But if it goes and dies, it sprouts and produces many seeds. 
And don't be content with one seed. Don't be content with one kingdom seed. However many God's given you. How do you invest it in eternity and see a multitude of seeds come from it? And as you think about that, you think about what does that actually mean in my life? I understand. I get the challenges associated with that. It takes faith to invest all of our resources in these ways. And as I feel the urge to hold on to my stuff, to cling to it, and as you feel that too, we must remember Jesus. He spared none of his blood, not a drop of it, gave it all so that we may have new life. We go back to delighting in what he did for us, recognizing the extent of his sacrifice for us, knowing that what he gave up is immensely greater than anything we will ever give up for him. We say, Jesus, I, I want to hold on to my stuff. I know it's easy to do. I need your help. By your grace, help me to see the grace that you've given to me. And may it free me to invest my life in eternity. Friends, this is what it means for us to send into the world and recognize there's a harvest of righteousness to be had. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you loved us radically, that you've served us generously. You gave your very life for us. And as we ponder how we might best serve this community and how we might best send into the world to be the salt and the light that you've called us to be, we ask for your grace to give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. Give us humble hearts to be changed by you. To not clamor for and build our own kingdoms here but to see your kingdom come. We thank you that you spared none of your blood for us. You gave it all that we could have new life. We ask you would make us generous in our investment that others may have new life as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.